The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Our sermon scripture this morning is Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward." Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Erica. Please be seated, yes. Question for you uh, this morning. Have you been trained? I mean, are you highly trained in something? I am not. I am what you would call an unemployable person. I have no skills but really, the training that I'm thinking about today was is the training that you get for certain sorts of things where you do it automatically without thinking. I'm thinking about, you know, nurses, paramedics, firemen, policemen. They're all trained to act without thinking, we say. I know that they are thinking, but they go into this automatic mode really quickly, and they're, they're not afraid of anything. They're not overthinking what they're doing. They just use their training and it works that way. I mean, if we want that way to be for nurses and paramedics and firemen. We don't want them to think about what to do in an emergency situation. That would be a bad thing to just sort of stroke your chin and think like, I wonder what I ought to do here about this dire circumstance. They just go automatically into what they're supposed to do. Of course, firemen, I mean, policemen have to, to be that way just to save their own lives. That's kind of like what I'm talking about. Brenner McLean is... Uh, uh, some sort of a martial artist. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter, but I would recommend that you don't attack him. Don't grab him because he won't think about what he's doing. He'll just simply kill you automatically. Um, give, it, give it a try. Grab him or something like that. Come from behind. Put, your, put him in a headlock and then, and then die. Uh, one of uh, my favorite stories from Eddie Shavola when he was in the Marines, um, and I may not tell it completely right, Eddie, but you'll just have to forgive me. He was in Somalia on the back of a truck with a bunch of other Marines, and um, he was suddenly got surrounded by a gigantic mob of, of Somalians who had rocks and were just about to, I don't know, try to, try to injure the soldiers. I don't know if it was lieutenant or his captain immediately said a few certain words, and all of the soldiers, Eddie included, had their rifles completely unlocked, and aimed, and were just simply waiting for it. Eddie, Eddie said he, had, he picked out his target, and it would have gotten that guy and the guy behind him. That's how powerful the bullet would have been. 
But here's, that's not, that, that's true of Matt Lesher and other soldiers back then too. That's not surprising. What was interesting that, that Eddie recollected that and thought about it and it made an impact on his life that he was so highly trained, he was ready without thinking to pull the trigger. But that's what he's supposed to do. I think about that sort of training. Now look, Jesus said when the disciple is fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Paul told Timothy, a good servant is trained in the words of the faith and good doctrine. Paul also told Timothy to train yourself for godliness. The writer of Hebrews says there's a good fruit that comes from being trained by God's discipline. So I I have no skills. I've been learning the Bible for about 46 years. I have knowledge of the Bible, but what I am interested in doing is this, you guys. And I'd like to see if you might want to join me. Taking what is up in my head uh, and transferring it down into my heart so that it comes out of my hands and my lips automatically without thinking. Because the reality of my life is more like this. This event has just happened to me. It's disappointing. It's painful. I'm beginning to sort of question God. What is he doing? Why is he letting this happen? Why do bad people get away with bad things? Why are there so many bad people in, in, in the world anyway? Why do good people have such a hard time being good? And, and I have to stop and I think about it and I, I bring up the scripture slowly that I know and, and then it, uh, you know, 24, 48 hours later it changes me. But I like to be automatic. I want to grow in that sort of way. Now look at this. Look at your psalm. To you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. So a lament, a lament has begun. It's a reality of the believer's life that God always seems to be silent at some times in your life. You call out and seem to get nothing but the echo of your prayer. Where is he? And often when God seems to respond, it seems like it's so slow in his response. This is the most common lament for the children of God as far as I can tell. I cannot tell you all of the reasons that God may seem silent to you, but I do see in the Psalms a relentless pursuit of God even in what seems like silence. Call, plea, cry. The psalmist even lifts his hands. This is the common way to pray. What what do lifted hands mean, you guys? For one thing, they put as much body into the prayer as possible. Instead of just thinking a prayer or maybe even saying out loud, they, they engage your whole body by lifting up your hands. That's how they did it back then. The psalmist lifts his head, looks up with his eyes, raises his voice and raises his hands. For another thing, the hands are empty and show how utterly helpless and empty we are without God. That would be a strange thing for me to see you on a Sunday morning worshiping God and lifting up your hands like with your wallet in your hand or your purse. What in the world would that mean? No, but they're empty hands and you're saying, I've got nothing to bring to you. I have no goodness, no righteousness in my own self. And raised hands are also lifted up in faith that we will receive just what we need. It's almost the posture of, Lord, I need help and my hands are empty and I want to receive it and I believe you'll hear me. It says in verse 3, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. 
Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands and render them their due reward. Here, wicked people are busy. Sometimes wicked people are neighbors, the very people you're supposed to trust. Jesus knew that it was what it was like to have his own siblings, his hometown, and his closest disciples be disloyal to him. So don't be too surprised if even neighbors are speaking evil of you. Wicked people are at work against the Lord. They use their voice and their hands to oppose God. Wicked voices and wicked hands come from evil hearts. All of this distresses the psalmist here, and he feels like he must make sure that God responds to wickedness by doing justice to them. He, like you and I, feel distressed that people created by God and made in God's image are busy working against the God who created them. Verse 5, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Though God seems silent, he's been, he has been at work with his hands. This is an important thing I think we need to remember so that we respond right to our laments. Actually, God has been busy with his hands. It is this work that the wicked ignore. And even if they don't ignore God's works, then the wicked give credit for God's work to things like random mutations and natural selection. Or they give the credit deserved by God to maybe historical coincidences or or psychological conditions. The reason why Christians are the way they are is because they're weird, they got a little problem up here, things like that. So sometimes it can appear that people with evil hearts and their evil mouths with their evil hands are working harder than the Lord is. It can feel that way. And it feels like the Lord is letting them get away with it. Let's see here. It's the work of the Lord that's being ignored. But you and I are, should be experts on the work of the Lord, and it should come to our minds automatically. But what's the work of the Lord? What are the works of God's hands? These could be observations that you might want to point out to the unbelievers who may say that God doesn't do anything. Or they could remind our own hearts that God is not silent or distant or inactive. For, for instance, consider, let's, let's look at the big picture, you guys. Let's look at the entire universe. That is as big as it's going to get. Now, the universe shows a signs of finiteness, that it has a beginning. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. So if it's, if it's here and you can't get something from nothing, then something has caused the universe. Now, that's a big question, and it's a pretty simple answer. The solar system that we're a part of, the earth that we're living on, its solar system that we're a part of and the distance from the sun, everything is just so perfect for human life. All of, the, all of the principles and laws of physics are perfect for a human being to live and thrive on this planet. That is one of the great works of God. It should be noted. It should come to your mind automatically. It should be talked about with other people. And then, and then go down to the human body. I don't know whether you guys ever took it. Some of you took anatomy and physiology. I certainly took it and, and, and taught it, and it is just made me think about how marvelous the human body is. It, it one sense, is kind of fragile in a way that, that, that how you could die, but also it, it goes through so much and still continues to live. And it's a glorious thing. It's a testament to the creative work of God. Think about human flourishing. Why is the world working like it does? Just think about 
did you have ice cream last week? Of course you did. You're a normal human being. It was delicious, but why is it delicious? Why did God create ice cream? Why does that work? Good food works so well for us. What about art and music and science and medicine? This world is designed by God for human flourishing, and we can see that. Here's something else. You don't think about this very often, I think, but this is why we take church history courses. The church itself is a magnificent testament that God is not silent, that God is at work. This, this body of believers has stood the test of time in every possible persecution that could be thrown at it, and we are still here, and nothing will stop us. The church. And then I think about this. Let's just get really perfect. Let's go from the biggest to the smallest, yourself, your conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ, and the transformation of your life into something that is Christ-like. That is a grand miracle. That shows that God is at work. You know, I think about Larry Routhy, and I think about you know, that, that motorcycle thug that he used to be, but now he's the most gentlest, most sweetest Christian that we know. I think about Anthony Kinzer, who spent some time in prison before he was saved because of drugs, because of bad checks. Think of Richard Beatty. Um, oh, he's such a sweet evangelist for the Lord, but, but used to be a wicked lost sinner. I think about um, Chris Romeo, who was happy to tell you his testimony of, of wickedness before Christ, but look at his concern for Moldova and youth and, and the Lord. I think about, you guys really need to hear um, Ian Scheidenberger's testimony. Somehow find a way to do that marvelous transformation of God's grace. I think about Donovan. The funny thing about Donovan Welch is that it just makes me laugh because he used to get in so many fights when he was younger and he, nobody has ever <laughs> knocked him down, but he doesn't do that anymore. What a sweet, gentle soul. I think about John Evanson, who just was a radical anarchist and then came to Christ and how much he's changed. I named a bunch of men because I'm afraid to name women and, and call them wicked people. But and so I, 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 will, I will make an exception. Julie Curry, who is a saint, will testify to you of her wickedness before she came to Christ. And she will look you in the eye and make sure you're looking in her eye so that you understand she means business when she says she was a wicked sinner before she came to Christ. And then, you know, you look at someone like Allie Evanson and you think there's no way she has ever sinned. She came to the prayer time on, on uh, Thursday. Her husband's is away with, on business and she brought all four kids. They all had lunches. Um, it was a... It was a wonderful thing, but how does she do that? But if you, if you talk to Allie, she will say she was a wicked sinner before she came to Christ. You see, you see, there's a way of looking at the works, the hand of God that eliminates any of that idea that God is somehow distant or silent or not doing something. You are sitting there sweating, praising God. Now, what in the world is going on with that? God's transforming work. He's active and alive. All right, now look, here's the psalmist laments. Number one, God seems silent. 
if I have a God who doesn't listen, who doesn't discern between good and evil, then I really have no God at all. Number two, I'm afraid I will be counted with the wicked, experience the same demise, afraid my future is no different than the wicked. Perhaps God will be so angry over human evil that he'll just destroy us all. Number three, the wicked use what God has given them, their mind, their hands, their voice, to do wicked things. And number four, they don't even recognize what God has done in the world. So they, they give credit to something else. So what does the psalmist do? Ready? He strengthens his heart by choosing to bless God, pray, and sing songs of praise. Let me hear it, say it again. He strengthens his heart by choosing to bless God, pray, and sing songs of praise. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Suddenly, after the lament of God's silence and after contemplating God's anger over the wicked such that even faithful people might be swept away in God's judgment, and after the frustration of watching the world use gifts God gives to do evil, and even giving credit of the works of God to other sources, the psalmist says, blessed be the Lord. He has let the truth well up in his heart despite how he feels. Despite any doubts, the writer decides to proclaim what he knows is true from his heart. So I don't know what happened here, but I see the psalmist focus on his heart. His heart has seen the need for God's mercy. He's proclaimed that God is his strength and his shield. God is the saving refuge and shepherd. But despite the world around him, his heart trusts God. Whatever has changed about the attitude of the psalmist such, such that he can bless God in the middle of his fears and complaints, his focus becomes his heart. The heart of a person is the core of one's being, right? It's your thoughts, your will, your conscience. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, that's what he is. Everything that has ever come out of your heart, uh, out of you has come from your heart. Every word you ever said, truth, encouragement, wisdom, lies, gossip, complaints, criticism, it's come from your heart. Every act of benefit, every act of kindness, every act of destruction, deceit, misdemeanor, or crime has come from your heart. So let's concentrate on that. And I have three things to tell you that I want you to do. Three things I want you to concentrate on about your heart. Here's the first one. Number one, work on your heart first. Make it your first priority. Your heart first. Concentrate on your heart before you concentrate on your marriage or your children or your education or career or church. Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence out of it, your life flows. You have to monitor everything that comes into your heart or mind, what you see, what you hear, your habits of thinking. Immerse yourself in wherever the Spirit of God is. Church activities, the Bible, of course, godly relationships, 
Change what's coming into your heart. Keep vigilant about guarding your heart and vigilant about feeding your heart. That's number one. Number two, having gone to the Bible, the Word of God, the truth of God, the revelation of God, deliberately recognize it as truth. If God seems silent, you guys, Bible truth says He's not. He's not absent or sleeping or distant or uncaring or on vacation. You can say, Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. But you must know that God is not deaf. He's not silent. He is speaking in all kinds of ways. Again, look around. This nature, this world, the people on your right and left, the person that you are is evidence of this. You can lament that you feel so overwhelmed with the wickedness of the world, but you must know that God knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. 2 Peter 2.9. You can say that you're so frustrated that the wicked do not recognize God. They don't recognize His laws, don't recognize His work in the world. But as a Christian, you must remember Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The psalmist says in verse four, give to them according to their work, according to the evil of their deeds, give to them according to the work of their hands, render them their due reward. And the Bible says, he will. So when you're feeling overwhelmed that you despair of life, recognize what is true. When even God seems perplexing, concentrate on what you do know, not what you don't know. Number three, when your heart struggles to believe, listen to this, when your heart struggles to believe, act as if your heart believes. Every Christian knows his or her heart is weak. We know that. It struggles to believe. You struggle to trust. I do too. You struggle to have perfect assurance that God is listening, that God will act, that God will judge the wicked, and that God will save you in the end. So when your heart does not love your spouse like it should, or when your heart struggles to love one of your own children or a neighbor or a pastor, ask yourself, what would I say and do if my heart was into loving this person? This is why the command to love is just that, a command. It's not a feeling. Don't wait for the heart to get a feeling. Use your voice and hands to do something loving and wait for the heart to change. So what to do? Regard or recognize the work of the Lord, the hand of the Lord. Where the hands of the Lord of the wicked do evil, use your hands to do good, you guys. When you're doubting or despondent, do something. Do something with your hands. Go do works of service, works of mercy. Help someone. 
Use your voice to plead for mercy. There's nothing wrong with asking God for mercy every hour of the day. That's not just a one-time prayer that we ask for when we get saved. Use your voice to sing songs of thanksgiving to God. Do that with a friend. Praise God at the supper table. Do it at community group. Sing on Sunday gatherings. Sing in the shower, whatever. It changes your heart. In other words, do something. When your heart is weak and discouraged, put your body in action, your hands and your voice, and do something. I'm sure that your heart will catch up. And you guys, be encouraged by transformed lives. I'm just, I just have the vantage point of being here and seeing every single one of you. That's transformed lives. Unless you're not saved, then your life is not transformed. It's just the same. We have such an advantage over the Old Testament writers and prophets. What they longed for in these psalms and these prophecies that we're longing for, we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. When God seems silent, you guys, listen to this. When God seems silent, see Jesus afresh. See Jesus afresh. He's proof that God has not left us alone. As crazy as this scenario is for just one moment, if God gets called to court and is on trial for being silent, and a lot of people, believers and unbelievers, put God on trial for being silent, imagine this, God's defense attorney would just say to the judge, exhibit one, the Lord Jesus Christ. To which the judge would say, case dismissed. That's the ultimate proof that God is not silent. He is not distant. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to those prayers and always has been. When you go go get so exhausted and discouraged at living in a wicked world that God ignores, that, that ignores God or ignores God's laws or falsely attributes God's works to man or physics or whatever, when you're despondent that evil seems to just multiply in war, killing, racial and social injustice, corrupt government, abnormal sexual ethics, and so on. See, Jesus afresh. Christ is the Redeemer. He buys people out of the world and keeps them for his own. Jesus has given us the mission to stay in the world for a little while, calling us to live distinct, holy lives. So just live on mission, be patient. You're not going to be left in the pit in the grave, you guys. It, it, it's almost as if the psalmist was thinking, Lord, if I do the right thing and nothing good happens to me, and if evil people do bad things and nothing happens to them either, then maybe there's no difference. Maybe it doesn't matter if you live righteous or not. Maybe that's the frustration of the psalmist. So then maybe God's just all going to sweep us all away because it makes no difference. But you will not be left in the pit or the grave. You'll not be swept up with the wicked when he returns at the end of this age. You guys, Jesus is the great separator. He separated you from slavery to sin and, and bought you for his own. He separated you from death because he's conquered death. Your destiny is not the pit. It's not the grave. He's separating from the world while commissioning you to be in the world. If you know the words of Jesus well, 
and I, I really want you to know his words well, then you're going to know that Jesus knows how to separate the wheat from the weeds, doesn't he? He knows how to winnow the wheat from the chaff, doesn't he? And you know what he does with the chaff. Jesus knows how to tell a fruitful tree from an unfruitful tree, and you know what he does with an unfruitful tree. Jesus knows how to separate the sheep from the goats. Now, by Jesus' righteous blood, you are bought, anointed, or chosen, and you are his heritage. If you're born again by the saving grace of God, you belong to him. He's your shepherd, and he doesn't lose his sheep. So Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my, down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. All right, now look. So we live, we just live in this world. We do. That's what God has called us to. It's a lot of good things, but it's always not so fun, right? What I want for me, what I want for you is this truth that wells up from the heart. Therefore, you're going to have to work on your heart such that when despondency and despair come, when discouragement comes, when God seems silent, your heart cries out truth to yourself, to the world. Your hands begin to do what they were made to do, works of service for him. You get busy about that, and then whatever you think is lacking in your heart will change. That's the advice I'm getting from Psalm 28. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word which makes us consider the heart. When we take all that you have written about it in your scriptures, it's quite a bit. It's pretty important. Have we paid careful attention to that? Have we trained our hearts to sing praises of thanksgiving to you when we're feeling down, when we feel discouraged? Help us to do that. We'll have to go back to your work. But help us, O oh Father, to see the Lord Jesus afresh in delightful, joyful ways to see him again and see what he has done for us and what he is going to do for us at the end of time. Continue your great work on our hearts, I pray. I pray for those who have wandered into our service this morning who do not know you, Father, that you would bring them repentance and faith. They'll have to come to face to face with their own sin and inability to save themselves, but you'll have to show that to them and bring them to you if you would. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.